Transformation happens on the step of obedience. Why? Because walking by faith means that you are doing things that you wouldn't choose to do on your own. That it doesn't make a lot of sense. And what I've learned is that when we trust the Lord and we take a step of faith in obedience to His will, He meets us on the step of faith. He never meets us before the step of faith. He's with us before the step of faith, but at the step of faith, something miraculous happens. Caterpillars don't change into butterflies by living the life they've always lived. No, if they want to be transformed, they have to do something very different. Make a chrysalis. Well, today, Pastor Daniel shares that Jesus wants to transform your life too. But like the caterpillar, it's going to require that you take a step of faith. You'll learn that when you respond to Jesus and step out, you can count on him to meet you there and do something miraculous. Now here's Pastor Daniel in John chapter 2 as he continues his message, Jesus' First Miracle. We realize that word woman, that reads strange to us, but in the Greek language, it's actually the word gune, which I've always made the joke that Jesus called his mom a goon, but he didn't. But, but, but it's the word gune, and it's actually a term of endearment, right? But it's amazing. They, the translators properly translate the word, but the word plays differently in our culture. I mean, any of you call your mom's woman, actually, don't raise your hand. Because if you do, we'll lay hands on you and pray for you, you know, and your mom. You know what I mean? It's the idea here is he, he's speaking to her in an endearing way, but he says, and it's kind of fascinating, he says, What does your concern have to do with me? For my time has not yet come. Now, this is important. When Jesus is doing something miraculous, when Jesus wants to transform a person's life, it always involves the cross. Because Jesus sees this moment where there is this tangible need for wine. He sees it as a picture of the cross. So the reason we know that is because Jesus says, woman, My time has not yet come. What does your concern have to do with me? And what's very fascinating is that, and you can write this down in your notes or in your Bible, the only other time Jesus calls his mother woman is in John chapter 19, verse 26. And Jesus said from the cross, woman, behold your son. Now, what's fascinating about this is at that moment, Jesus is making sure that his mother Mary is taken care of, right? And really what she's doing is Jesus, as Mary's oldest son, is Jesus is entrusting Mary into the care of John the apostle, the beloved apostle. And in that moment, he's talking about John the apostle. But I always wonder when Jesus said, woman, behold your son, if in Mary's mind, her mind went back to this moment. When she asked Jesus to take care of this family who's running out of wine, and he said, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My time has not yet come. And there on the cross, when he says, woman, behold your son, he's saying, mom, now my time has come. And here's the thing. 
The miraculous work that Jesus does in any one of us always involves the cross. God decided that the cross that Jesus died on would be the very place that we meet with God. And what I want to tell you is the most miraculous thing that God can do in our life is to bring each one of us to the cross to behold Jesus. We realize that the cross, sometimes we wear them on our necks. We have, you know, it was an implement of death. I mean, death by crucifixion was one of the most brutal in history. The most inhumane. The death was slow. It was agony. And oftentimes when we think of the cross or we wear a cross, it's like, it'd be like wearing a necklace that was an electric chair. But the reason the miraculous work of Jesus involves the cross is because what God wants to do in each one of our lives is he wants to bring us to the cross to see Jesus there. To see what it cost Jesus to forgive us of our sins, of our failings. But once we behold Jesus and we trust in his death on our behalf, then Jesus invites us, if we want to be his disciples, to do what? To deny ourselves, take up our crosses daily, and follow him. Brothers and sisters, listen. The only way to live the abundant life is to die to your own version of your life. And there's nothing more offensive to our culture than hearing that. Our culture says, do everything you want to do in your life and you'll be happy. And listen, it's a wonderful sentiment, but it's not true. And almost all of us can attest to that. We did things our way. We pursued the things that we wanted. And if we landed them, they didn't fulfill us anyway. And so Jesus says to each one of us, if you want to be my disciple, if you want to follow me, and that's what Jesus is interested in. You know that, right? Jesus is interested not in converts. He's interested in disciples. People who follow Jesus. People who learn from Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. Nobody becomes a disciple of Jesus unless they're first converted. That's the first step in it. But Jesus doesn't just want us to believe upon him. He wants us to believe upon him and then follow him. As we say, simply respond to him. As we move from just being someone who puts an initial belief in him to somebody who is learning from Jesus every single day. And guess what? There's not one day that Jesus isn't inviting us to the cross. Where he's saying, will you let me be who I am in your life? And will you let me do what it is that I want to do in your life. Remember I said that transformation, God's miracles happen in everyday common places. I think one of the greatest struggles we have as people is that in the common situations, in those moments of tangible need, we want to resist what's happening rather than saying, Lord, are you bringing me to the cross right here? How is it that you want me to die to myself that I can be made alive to you? And I'll be honest with you, maybe the most miraculous thing that Jesus can do in any of our lives is to get to a point to say, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, that you might increase, that I might decrease. That's the most miraculous, because we would never say that left out to our own devices. We would never say, Lord, not what I want, but what you want, not my kingdom, Lord, but your kingdom, not the things that I'm hoping for, but Lord, what is your dream for my life? 
I was talking to someone recently and they said, man, I just want to follow my dreams. I'm like, don't follow your dreams. What's Jesus's dream for your life? I mean, it's a whole other ball game because many of us want our own dreams. We want Jesus to jump on board with that. And I'm going to tell you, Jesus's plan is so much greater, so much more profound, so different than what we would ever expect. One of the greatest sparks in our heart that God loves to fan to a flame is to say, Lord, it's not about me. Where we just bow our heads and we humble our hearts and we bend our knees and we say, Lord, whatever is your good pleasure, whatever is for your greatest purposes. And when we do that, we're coming to the cross and we're saying, Jesus, I want you to do a work in me. I want you to transform me. See, Jesus isn't focused on this moment. He's pointing Mary to another, a more important moment where Jesus's blood was going to be shed. It's not by chance that at that last supper, Jesus passed that cup of wine around and said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Jesus links this wine with his crucifixion. But what I love about this is he tells Mary, like pretty much, it's not my time. But notice how Mary responds. I think this is awesome. Verse five, his mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you, do it. (laughs) So what's amazing is Jesus said no, but Mary's like, but he's going to do something. Right? Whatever he says to you, do it. Now, you want to know where God transforms us? You want to know where miracles happen? It always flows out of obedience. God's transformation in our life flows out of obedience. Whatever he says to you, do it. Now listen, if I can give you Bible understanding one-on-one, it's this. Whatever Jesus says to you, do that. And anytime you find this is what Jesus wants and you're making 97 excuses, am I the only one who's got 97 excuses for some of the things that Jesus wants? The number of times that I try and tap dance around what he's saying, oh, I don't think it really means that. I don't think it really means that. I think what it means is this. I don't, like, I don't want to do that right now. And no, he's not asking me to do that. Yes, he is. God's transformation happens on the step of obedience. Why? Because walking by faith means that you are doing things that you wouldn't choose to do on your own. That it doesn't make a lot of sense. And what I've learned is that when we trust the Lord and we take a step of faith, In obedience to his will, he meets us on the step of faith. He never meets us before the step of faith. He's with us before the step of faith. But at the step of faith, something miraculous happens. And I can give you so many personal examples. Not that I'm the most obedient person either. God knows. He's not done with me yet. Every single day I have to say, Lord, will you let me be obedient to your will? Because just because you had a great day yesterday, you've had a great week, doesn't mean that you're going to have a great today. I mean, you, you see in the scriptures, someone like Peter, God used Peter in amazing ways. And Peter had some pretty famous calamities, right? Like in, in the book of Galatians, we learn that the apostle Paul had to rebuke Peter in front of the entire church in Galatia. Because Peter, although God was using him, I mean, 
You know, the, the spirit of God fell upon the Gentiles through Peter's preaching at Cornelius' house. The spirit of God fell upon 3,000 people and they were saved on the day of Pentecost and Peter was preaching. But he gets out to the church in Galatia. He's being a hypocrite. And Paul's got to call him out because yesterday's obedience does not ensure today's obedience. Every single day we have to say, Lord, I want to trust you and follow you. So here's my question today. What's the step of obedience that's right in front of you that you don't want to take right now? What's the thing that you know? Like right now as I'm saying it, you're kind of like, yep, it's this thing. Maybe it's joining a small group. Because God's been saying it's time to join a small group. I don't want to join a small group. I don't like talking to people. Or I've, I, I like my small group now. And you know, I don't, I don't want to have to meet new, new people. Or, or maybe it's, there's a mission trip coming. And God's been kind of knocking on the door of your heart. Being like, it's time for you to go on a mission trip. I don't want to. Right? Maybe it's being generous with your time. You know that God's been calling you in a ministry. Right? God's like, come on, I want to use you. And you have all your reasons. You have your, you have your, 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 your yeah, but disease, right? That's a good one, right? You got to write that one down, the yeah, but disease. I've, I have a chronic case of yeah, but disease. You know, you're like, yeah, but Lord, like you're like filling them in on all the reasons you can't do certain things. Whatever that thing is, the miraculous work that God does in your life, it actually flows out of obedience. See, Mary is telling the servants who are at this wedding, listen, whatever Jesus says to do, you should do it. You should do it. And notice what happens next. And it's kind of really extraordinary what goes on in verse 6. It says, now there were set there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, concerning or containing 20 to 30 gallons apiece. And Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. Now, this is kind of such an amazing thing because really what Jesus does is Mary says, whatever he says to do, do it. And Jesus says that they, they say that there's these six water pots there, right? And there were these stone water jugs and they can hold about 20 to 30 gallons of water apiece. And it was according to the manner of the Jews. So what they do is they would get the water and they would put in these things because, you know, when water sits for a little bit. You know, they, it, you end up having some separation and, you know, all the sediment goes to the bottom and all these different things. It was long before you had your reverse osmosis distilled water that you add, you know, Himalayan sea salt to or whatever your gig is. Cause I heard, someone was talking to me about that the other day. I was like, oh, that sounds really complicated, you know, but, but the idea that, and there was just this normal time of purification and Jesus goes over to them and says, listen, I want you to fill the water pots with water, right? And notice what it says. It says, and they filled it to the brim. And then Jesus says, okay, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And what did they do? It says, and they took it. So this first miracle of Jesus, Jesus turning ultimately water into wine, what it involves is it involves those servants being obedient, doing exactly what Jesus said. And notice, it doesn't say that they filled it up a little bit because they were lazy and they didn't, like, I don't know why I'm filling this up. Who's this Jesus guy? Why is he telling me to do this? It says they filled it up to the brim. There was the most water in those water pots. They did it all the way. They didn't cut any quarters. We would say it biblically that they went the second mile 
right? They filled it to the brim. And when Jesus said, okay, draw some out and take it to the master of the feast, they just took it. So and really what we learn here is that the miracles of what Jesus does is oftentimes he makes the ordinary things the most extraordinary. I mean, turning water into wine, I mean, it's like water is ordinary. And as we're going to see, the wine that Jesus made was not some ordinary wine. And in a lot of ways, what I am learning every single day is that what God wants to do is he doesn't want me to run away and run around after unique experiences. He wants to make all the ordinary experiences of my life totally unique because his presence is there. So it's not just driving to work. It's not just mowing the lawn. It's not just cleaning the house. It's not just doing this or doing that. At every turn, it's God wanting to infuse the very ordinary moments of our life with his presence. I mean, we've been reading together as a church through the life of Solomon. You realize that God only met with Solomon about three times in his entire life, according to the scriptures. Three times, right? But all the other times, Solomon's life was being lived and we, we realized that he did some great things and some pretty lousy things. And really what God wants to do is he wants to transform what you think of this is just a boring life and he wants to infuse it with his presence and his purpose. That's what God does. And for many of us, we're so busy running after the next spiritual experience that you actually don't realize that you're already living those experiences. And I think God wants to do a work in us there. He wants to light a spark. He wants us like Brother Lawrence wrote this little book, I've read this many times, called Practicing the Presence of God. And Brother Lawrence was just a dishwasher in a monastery. And the whole book is, I was washing the dishes and I was trying to remember that God is with me. You know? And every page is like, so I was washing the cups. And I was trying to remember that God is with me. And he talked about his joy in simply doing the dishes. What would your life look like if you realized and walked in the reality that Jesus is always with you? He's always street level with you. That there's no, even though things might seem boring and dull, the only reason it's boring is because you're boring. Sorry, I could resist. <laughs> I always tell that to my kids all the time. They're like, I'm bored. I'm like, you know what they say about people who are bored? They're boring. And so now my kids look at me. I'm like, listen, man, life's full of exciting things if you have eyes to see and ears to hear. I mean, think about it. God met with Moses. He was out tending sheep. He had been doing that every day for like 40 years. Nothing exciting. Peter and Andrew were cleaning the nets. Men, you know, James and John, mending the nets. They were sons of fishermen. They grew up on the Sea of Galilee fishing and tend to the nets. Levi was a tax collector. I've never met anyone who does any job that's like, man, my job is awesome. He would have been the tax collector forever long. All of a sudden, Jesus shows up one day. God wants to take the ordinary parts of your life and he make them extraordinary. He wants to take some average old water pots and he wants to do a miraculous work in the midst of it. Now, look at what happens. They take it to the master of the feast and it says in verse 9, when the master of the feast had tasted the water 
that was made wine and did not know where it came from. But the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine and when the guests have well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. This is the beginning of the signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now, think about what's going on. So all of a sudden, the master, the master of the feast knows that the wine is running out. And then all of a sudden, the servants come with this new wine. And when the master of the feast hates it, he's beside himself. And he literally goes to the groom and he's like, what are you guys doing? Because the wine that Jesus made was so much better than all the other wine. Now, I know that might sound kind of weird to us, but you have to realize there's some wisdom in that, that in the beginning, when you put out your, your best tasting food, right? But then when people eat enough, your palate starts to get a little bit dull, right? That's like when, if you ever eat sushi, you know why there's ginger there, right? Because after you eat a certain type of fish, you eat the ginger and it cleanses your palate so you can truly taste the other kind, right? Now, I know some of you put that in your, in your little, you make the little wasabi thing. That's actually not what it's there for, but it still tastes good because it's ginger. But it's literally there to cleanse your palate. I remember growing up, they used to have these little seeds that you would eat after each meal to kind of cleanse your palate, right? Or if you go into an Indian food place, they have the same thing there, but they have them, they're candy coated, right? And the idea is to cleanse your palate so you can really taste it. That's really what he's saying is that Jesus didn't turn the water into like some nasty wine, like some Mad Dog 2020 or Boons or something like that. The little wine boxes, right? He didn't do that. Jesus turned that water into extraordinary wine. So extraordinary that the work that Jesus did created a havoc. I mean, you just imagine this bridegroom. He's there. He's enjoying his family. His bride is there. And all of a sudden, the man is like, what are you doing? Right? He had no clue where it came from. But what's fascinating about this, and I think it's so beautiful, is that the way this draws to a close, it says this. It says, this beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and the disciples believed in him. This is the first of miracles happened in Cana of Galilee, right? And what did it do? It manifested Jesus's glory. It drew attention to this man, Jesus, who is unlike any other person. And not only did the miraculous things that Jesus do manifest his glory, but it says the disciples believed in him. My friends, listen. Without a doubt, this church exists so that people believe in Jesus. Do you believe that Jesus is enough? That he can handle even the biggest issues or most broken moments in your life? Today, Pastor Daniel shared that the miracles Jesus did caused people to believe that he was who he said he was. You learned that the amazing things he did sparked belief in the people watching. The same can happen when you take a step of faith let God show up for you. Your faith will grow and those around you will believe as well. Everyone needs a little encouragement to get through their day, and we have a way to provide that for you. Pastor Daniel has some excellent advice, truth, 
and love to share in his two-minute messages available on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Just go to JesusIsRealRadio.com and click on the social media links to find them. You won't be disappointed, and your day just might get a little brighter. Join us again here on Jesus Is Real Radio when Pastor Daniel will answer the question, how do I know God's will for me? As you study Revelation chapter 1, you'll learn that God wants two basic things for all of his followers. He wants you to know him and to serve others. Pastor Daniel will explain that the more you know of God, the more you'll understand what he wants for you and from you. We wish we had more time today, but we'll have to pick up where we left off next time as Pastor Daniel continues teaching through this series called Spark. That's next time on Jesus is Real Radio.